Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Most of the time you fail because you give up. If you want to do something badly enough and you're in a position in life where you're able to take, you know, a pay cut for a little while, it really just comes down to perseverance and just put one foot in front of the other every day. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest, someone I've known in the Los Angeles tech community for ages. She is one of the original community builders in Los Angeles. It is such a treat to have her on the podcast. I'd like to welcome Jackie. Thanks, Esprit. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Walk us through your company today and what led to you building it. I started this company about a year ago. It's called Blind Insight, and we're a private database. So we allow data to be analyzed while it's still encrypted. So for a long time, we've had encryption at rest and encryption in transit solved. But when you want to use data and analyze data, you have to decrypt it, and then it's exposed or non-compliant. And I guess around 2017, I became aware of some privacy-preserving cryptographic protocols and really, really fell in love with that space. I started reimagining sort of all of the things that I thought were broken with Web 2 with this sort of added layer of trust and privacy. And that's really where this started. The technologies that were state-of-the-art at the time weren't really capable of doing the kinds of real-time software layer things that I was interested in building. And so I waited and I waited. And then about a year and a half ago, I learned about some new research bubbling up, mostly from university settings, and decided it was time to start the company. And walk us through who is your customer, who should be paying attention? Long term, I think we have an opportunity to be very horizontal. When I first started Doing the research for this company, I would come across highly regulated industry after highly regulated industry. So healthcare, for example, it takes decades to get life-saving treatments to market. And that's because the same regulations that are there for good reason to protect individuals' privacy are also hurting people in a way because they're causing these treatments to take so long to get to market. And so, you know, being an early stage company, you're looking for your wedge, you're looking for your beachhead market, and highly regulated industries move slowly, especially healthcare, because you can't move fast and break things in healthcare because the things you break are people. So you need to move very thoughtfully. And then more recently, we're really hearing a lot of more retail and consumer B2C use cases popping up enterprise retail brands that are looking for novel data protection solutions. 
Tell us about your team. What's your team like and why is your team the right team to take your company to the top? Yeah, so my team is amazing. I'm so blessed to have them. Um, I started this out as a solo journey. So I was a solo founder for the first almost year of the company. And I had Nick Sullivan, who was the head of research at Cloudflare, join as an advisor about a year ago. Three months ago, he left Cloudflare and now has come to be a co-founder on this project. Um, That's wicked. It's amazing. Yeah. So Nick is just amazing. He's one of the most product-oriented and high EQ cryptographers I've ever met, you know, and he's really, really excited to see some of the stuff that's been coming out of research commercialized and get it into people's hands. So incredibly blessed to have him. And then similarly, Chris Capriccio, who was VP of engineering at LegalZoom for many years, joined as an advisor a year and a half ago, actually, when we were first, first starting out. And so he since has also joined as a technical co-founder. And so incredibly blessed to have both of them on the team. We have a couple of folks, also some software engineers, one a couple of them that I've worked with for many, many years. We're currently talking to a couple of candidates. So we had a uh, contract applied cryptographer to get us to where we are now. And now that we're raising a proper round, we're talking to some really exciting candidates to fill that role as well. What has been your core competency through and through? Like, are you the engineer? Are you the product visionary? Are you the product designer? Are you the leadership visionary? What is your core competency, the through line between all your companies? Yeah, I think my core competency is that I am a highly technical person with a lot of experience in product and, you know, UX and, you know, meeting users where they are um, and really developing that sort of empathy with users that's necessary to really craft a product that um, is, you know, easy to use and also achieves the goals that users are, are interested in achieving. Have you all raised so far? Are you looking to raise? Yeah, we've raised a bit. So we, we did a friends and family round. And then we also were recently part of the most recent batch at 500 Global. So we raised a bit from them. And then we That's opened... exciting. Yeah, thank you. It is exciting. That was really good for us. We were at this stage where we didn't quite have enough, you know, the, the market's changed so much over the past year and a half and the bar keeps getting kind of higher and higher. And so it was a great opportunity to, for us to, um, you know, sort of make that headway that we needed to make to be able to open up a real pre-seed round, which we did a little over a month ago. If you're comfortable with this question, what's the main challenge that you're currently looking to overcome in building the company? The main challenge? It's like which one of a hundred each day? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I think, you know, really for us, the the main challenge is we're a security company. And so we are basically selling trust. Um, But we're an early stage company. We haven't necessarily earned that trust ourselves. And so, you know, we've talked to, you know, probably dozens of folks who are interested in working with us. And it's really um, who's going to go first, right? So who are those design partners that are experiencing, you know, the pain at a level that's high enough that they're willing to work with, you know, a a younger company. I was going to say, why should someone choose you versus a competitor? Yeah, so, you know, there really aren't that many competitors in the space that are able to do what we're doing, which is, you know, real-time analytics on encrypted data at the software layer. And I think, you know, we just had a meeting with a big healthcare company yesterday and they mentioned it was really refreshing because I think a lot of these companies are kind of hand wavy in a little Mm. black box and you know I think with us you kind of you get what you see. How is 
building this company different than building your previous companies? What are some of the pros and cons of now and then a pro and con of then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so actually this is my first venture-funded company. I bootstrapped the first four companies that I did, so... That's exciting. It's <laughs> it exciting, exciting. because not because it's venture backed. I mean, that is exciting as well. It's exciting because it's a new adventure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it yeah. is a new adventure. You know, and when I first started thinking about starting this company, I left my previous full time job, and you know, people were writing checks off of Notion documents with no product, no customer, just kind of based on founder and team. As we sort of got to clarity on what this was going to be and who it was for and who the right investors were for us, the market changed drastically. It went pretty sideways. And so, you know, the, the goalposts kept kind of getting higher and higher. It seems like investors are taking longer with diligence. You know, they're, they're being a lot more cautious. Ultimately, I think that's a good thing because I think there was a lot of money that was flying around and going into companies that, you know, maybe folks should have done a little more diligence yeah. on. So it's exhausting, but I, I think overall for the environment in general, it's actually a good thing. Do you find for yourself in your journey building a company that it is more enjoyable, as enjoyable as it could be? I mean, I'm a founder too. I get it. It's a hard life. Is it more enjoyable now for you or was it more enjoyable then? You know, I think it's enjoyable in different ways. So there's nothing I would rather be doing. I definitely don't want to like go have a full-time job working for somebody else's company right yeah. now. This is exactly where I want to be. I have zero complaints. It is exhausting. I'm exhausted. Um, but it's very, very rewarding. And I think back in the day, there was a little more leeway, right? You could have a little kind of more fun and you could move a little bit more slowly. And now because there is so much more concentration and there are so many more tech companies, that makes it a little more competitive and you have to be responsive to that. How do you see being a successful founder. It's something I think about all the time. A founder I really look up to is, if I'm pronouncing his name right, Stephen Barlett. But he has a podcast, Diary of a CEO. And he's always exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> and I look up to him because I, I like his work and what he does, but I also don't look up to that he's always exhausted. And I, too, have spent my career really depleted. And lately I've been asking myself, like, is the only way to be a successful founder to completely self-sacrifice all of our energy? Or is there a way to rest and be, <laughs> be a founder? I mean, genuinely, what do you mm -hmm. think? Part of it depends on what industry you're in, how fast that industry is moving, how competitive it is. I think that you know, there's probably an opportunity to be more, a little more relaxed. Also, how novel your idea is, right? And how well you can kind of stay under the radar while you're moving slowly. But I think also for me, I don't really notice the difference between hard and easy that much anymore. Mm. Um, it's like getting a tattoo, right? You go get the tattoo and it's painful, but then it's over and you have this hopefully beautiful tattoo for right, the rest of your right. life. I don't mind hard. And I've had the luxury of, you know, being able to approach business at my own pace for many, many years and, you know, intentionally decided to do this, you know, knowing how much work it would be. Um, my mindfulness practice is really helpful also. Can you share with us a little bit about what that entails? Sure. I mean, I've been, you know, a daily meditator just about some days I don't make it to the cushion for almost a decade now. 
And that that really has helped me with mm. that perspective, right, of, you know, hard and easy is kind of subjective, right? And at the end of the day, you're going to accomplish something. It could be hard, it could be easy, and you're going to get to the end, and then it, you're, you're going to look back, and you're not even going to really remember how hard it was. So perfectly happy to be challenged in that way mm. and, and sort of lean into it. I do make sure I get plenty of sleep, so I'm exhausted, but I still get eight and a half hours of sleep at night. I try not to work, you know, late into the night. I try not to work too much on the weekend. Sometimes I end up doing that a little bit. When you say that word, I'm exhausted, and you're getting the eight and a half hour sleep, which is amazing, does exhausted mean something else to you? I'm reflecting on this right now. Like, as I think about the word exhausted for myself, I'm like, maybe I'm I'm exhausted by self-sacrificing when I don't want to, showing up in ways that don't feel good to me. Like like maybe exhausted doesn't actually mean energy levels. It means being like off rhythm of how I genuinely want to be living, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I am living the way I genuinely want to be living right now. And it really is energy levels. And I think it has more to do, you know, it's a high pressure situation right now. We're yeah. in the middle of a fundraise. We're very early wearing a lot of hats. It's only going to get easier from here. We'll have more resources. We'll have more people. I'll have more thought partners and collaborators. There's bound to be some extra stress hormones, some extra yeah. cortisol running through your body. And I think that can make you feel depleted. And, and you know, that's, totally. that's just kind of for me anyways and the way that my body works. That's just kind of the deal I am, you know, working on it. I'm actually getting a continuous glucose monitor and I'm like constantly doing Levels? Some, some biohacking. Um, I'm trying to decide which yeah. one I'm going to get. But, <laughs> I used you to know. do levels. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. So in a way, it's an opportunity to be more thoughtful about my wellness because I'm sort of forced to do that. Totally. I've been thinking about this so much because I was born a founder. It's in my blood. I've, I've tried to do things that that are not being a founder and they don't feel right. But I am exhausted of being exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've been asking myself a lot lately, like, how can I make everything easy? How can I make everything simple? How can I feel rejuvenated all the time? And is this possible to feel totally energized and be a founder? It's something I'm in a total discovery process. I have not hit the end. I'll let you know. I'll give you the memo <laughs> yeah, if I please. find the secret tree. <laughs> I would love yeah. I would love if you would share your notes. I'm trying to figure this out myself. <laughs> so what does the world of personal partnerships look like for you? This has always been something that I explore within myself, mm -hmm. like dating and all this stuff. Like, what does that look like? Yep. Well, yeah. so so right now my company, I, I say this all, my company is, you know, my partner and my baby. Yeah. And I'm actually okay with that. I've been married. I have a daughter who has grown. I don't necessarily like want to live with somebody else right now. I like yeah. having my space. I like yeah. being able to do what I want, when I want, Preach. with who I want, <laughs> without having to check in with yeah. anybody. And and that is selfish, but I feel like I'm at a point in my life where it's kind of okay to be selfish with my own space and time. Yeah. And that's, you know, not to say that I don't enjoy people and connecting with people and of course, I've dated a fair amount, but I've also been pretty much single for, yeah. for many years and intentionally so, I would say, or at least yeah. I don't feel like anything's missing. Yeah. I'd like to be open to what whatever adventure is meant for me that's healthy, that feels right. But there's such a freedom that I don't need it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like I'm totally <laughs> fine by myself. 
I also, like you, can't picture living with anyone. I just don't even understand that. Like, I am just like. (laughs) I would have to have a much bigger house with a lot more closet space. You know? (laughs) Like, just like, yeah. There's just such a sense of freedom that there's not this uh, void that Mm -hmm. I I feel need to fill. If anything, the void comes from my eagerness to, you know, be driven. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yes, I'm not on any dating apps. Yeah. I'm not going out to clubs trying yeah. to meet people. Um, you know, if I happen to meet somebody, that's great. I've had some lovely relationships over the past few years and have maintained friendships with pretty much all of those people. But at the end of the day, I really kind of am enjoying just being independent right now. Totally. For the past couple of years, I've been really doing my best to train myself to have a love affair with myself. Yeah. Like, I want to see that I fully am kind to myself, nurture myself, and and loving, and, like, buy myself flowers, whatever it may be. And I struggle with that still. So I just – I remember I consciously started this experiment at the end of – I think it was December 2000 – maybe the end of December 2020 – and yeah, I, I, I'm still on that journey, but that's the end goal is I want to see that I have, I'm having the most amazing love affair with myself. I think that's so important because, you know, really, I don't think you're going to expect anybody else to treat you any better than you treat yourself. Yeah. And if, yes. So I think it's really, really important to be able to do that. hundred percent. When did you initially discover technology and become interested in it? I initially discovered technology during the first dot-com bubble. I had a roommate that had a computer, and it was one of the first MIDI setups that I ever knew. Uh, This guy, Leland Lehrman, maybe I'll send this to Leland. (laughs) He had also been doing some work for BlackBerry, and so and he had a a Windows PC running Mosaic, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I fell in love with it. It was like just this new canvas, and I've always been – really creative and also pretty technical, right? Like good at math, you know, uh, good at languages. And so, you know, it was just incredibly exciting and and just this giant sort of playground. And so I started teaching myself how to write code. And then all the websites I was making were really ugly. So I learned design <laughs> tools. And then that really sort of those, the combination of those things is what, you know, led to me really sort of being so product focused. And what was the first tech job or company that you founded? So the first company I founded was Pixel Commotion, and that was around 1999, 2000, something like that, dating myself. (laughs) Um, And that was just a little self-proprietorship that I had where we were, you know, I was doing design and code for different organizations. Was that Um, your first job in tech? That was. I had done a little bit of contract work, and then I started Pixel Commotion. So, and did you ever study it in an organization, or was it? All, or are you completely self-taught? I'm pretty much completely self-taught. I think I took like a random Perl class, if you remember Perl, the programming <laughs> yeah, language, yeah. Um, early on in my career. But you know, basically, I got a computer and a bunch of books. So I had another friend, Peter, who was living in a cabin in the woods in Vermont. Oh, God, that sounds like a dream. Yeah, <laughs> with his with his wife and his new baby. He was, you know, making bank during the first dot-com bubble from there. Wow. And so I saw that and I was like, I want to do that. You're um, like, I you know? <laughs> So I got a computer and I bought some books and that's pretty much how I learned how to do all that stuff. 
Do you happen to remember, was it tough at first? Was there any imposter syndrome or was it like, ah, this is awesome. Give it all to me. You know, it's weird. Imposter syndrome came a little later in my career. I had been largely entrepreneurial and then I decided I was going to go try to work for someone else's company full time. I'd always had my own companies and I'd always been the boss and there, there wasn't much imposter syndrome. And then it wasn't until I sort of joined someone else's company that I sort of felt that a little bit. And I probably had that for like the full length of the first full time job I had for someone else's company, which was like a good two years. I wonder why. What was it about that role that created the imposter syndrome? You know, I'm not sure. Maybe it was that I had been basically self-taught. I hadn't learned from the inside. And so maybe I felt like, you know, these people had some experience I didn't and that that was going to end up somehow showing, you know? Yeah, Mm -hmm. interesting. I have imposter syndrome all the time. Mm. It drives me bananas. (laughs) (laughs) What is a piece of advice that you've been given that's really helped accelerate your career? Piece of advice that I've been given, I think, you know, you hear this a lot as an early stage founder, and it's absolutely true, um, is most of the time you fail because you give up. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think if you want to do something badly enough and you're in a position in life where you're able to take pay cut for a little while, it really just comes down to perseverance and just put one foot in front of the other every day. And I think, you know, I've been given that advice over and over again, and I think there's probably no advice I've received that's been more valuable. I'm curious. I'm thinking about my own company that I built back in the day. When when do you, when do you know to quit? Because, like, I just didn't quit my company. I was so madly in love mm-hmm. in so many – even though that company doesn't exist anymore, I'm still in love with it. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> how do you know when to quit? Who I might be the wrong person to ask that question, actually. Um there comes a point where, um, you know, you're not getting traction with customers. I think that's when you quit is if you've done the customer development work, you've gone out and you've talked to, you know, customers, prospective customers, understood their problems, understood their pain points, designed for those problems and pain points, and you're still not getting traction. You know, at that point, it might be time to sort of reevaluate mm. and, and either do a bigger pivot into something that that you can sell successfully because really that's that's really what it boils down to right you have a product and if you can't sell your product then it's probably time to think about doing something else yeah if you were to give advice to your younger self about your professional journey what advice would you give her I think I would have her maybe ask her, let her know that it's okay not to take everything so seriously. I think when mm. I was younger, you know, and this happens, right? You, when you're younger, a lot of the things you encounter, you're encountering for the first time and they seem a lot bigger. And then you encounter that same thing a couple of times and you're like, oh, this is just one of those, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think keeping that perspective that a lot of times things aren't maybe as big as they feel. And I think that kind of helps reduce the amount of, right, you don't want to be approaching things from a place of fear. And so I think it really helps you sort of approach things with a little broader of a perspective. Mm. The advice I'd give myself at this exact moment in my life is make space for nature. Mm-hmm. If you feel guilty, just deal with the guilt. <laughs> like guilty not being at the computer. Just mm-hmm. deal with the guilt. Nature will make you a better leader. Yep, absolutely. It's so important. I mean, I go for, you know, little urban hikes all the time in the morning before I sit down for my work day. Wait, actually? Yeah, I just walk around Santa Monica. But <laughs> but that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I find the guilt thing really 
gets to me. Do you ever have that where you feel guilty not working? No, I used to. Um, and so that's, you know, another thing is, you know, working just for work's sake because you feel like you should be working. And a lot of times you're just spinning your wheels and it's actually more productive to take a step back, to go for a walk, mm -hmm. to get some distance, to be able to reframe the things that you're working with yeah. versus just grinding, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I asked you about the company challenge. What is a, a challenge that you've had that you've already overcome? And how did you overcome it? I think a challenge that I have overcome is, you know, I used to let things keep me up at night. Mm. Um, so as, as exhausted as I am now, um, I was even more exhausted. I wouldn't sleep. I, and then I was exhausted. And so that I would be drinking Red Bulls. And, you know, that's not sustainable. Really what I learned to do is just tell myself, you know, this stuff's all going to be here tomorrow. Mm. You'll be better able to deal with it if you get a good night's sleep and take a step away from things that used to maybe stress me out and keep me up at night, which really has allowed me to move more thoughtfully through the process. I can totally relate. I used to drink those uh, five-hour energy drinks religiously, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, would, I wouldn't sleep until my eyes, like, painfully would force themselves shut. It was so mm -hmm. different than how I am now. <laughs> Same. Yeah, I'm in bed at like 9.30 or 10 every night. Right? Up at 6 I'm like 9 p.m. Yes. Yep. I'm like, I just want to wake up at 5. <laughs> Absolutely. I like waking up when it's still dark outside. I feel like it's my little secret world. Yeah, me too. You know, that used to be really tough for me to do. and But, you know, that's in the morning. I'm usually reading a Dharma book and I'm taking some time to meditate. I'm yeah. going out and I'm getting a walk. So I'm getting the red light before I expose myself to the blue light of the computer screen all day. And that stuff really makes a huge difference. So I'm really, really glad to have that time. hundred percent. So you raised a seed round, friends and family or beyond we, seed? So we raised a, a friends and family and then we did an accelerator and now we're raising our pre-seed. A pre-seed. And so not to put you on the spot, sort of on the spot, we have so many people listening. If one of the investors, like ears perked up, what would you tell them as a reason they should invest in you and how much are you looking for? Sure. It's a little on the spot, but yeah, I'm happy to answer that. I think the reason to invest in us is, you know, privacy is becoming such a, a major thing everywhere, right? Data breaches are happening all the time. 100% is driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah, GDPR. Actually, if, well, one thing we learned recently, a use case we're working on is if your data has not been exposed in a breach, it's probably been sold by someone at a call center to the dark web or, yeah, so it's it's really, really bad. So My mouth actually... is dropped open. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even consider that. Yeah, apparently it happens a lot and these folks are getting sued and then we have GDPR. And so, you know, this is, and then AI, right? I mean, ChatGPT was banned in Italy. Facebook has been, you know, Meta has been fined continuously um, and by European countries. They're in all sorts of trouble right now in the U.S. being sued by several states because the way they're manipulating people, basically. And so I think solutions like ours are becoming more and more and more crucial. And we're commercializing breakthrough technology. So this wasn't something that was necessarily possible. This is actually, I really think we have, you know, the whole Web3 blockchain hype cycle to think because 
I think the best thing to come out of blockchain wasn't blockchain, but it was all of the resources that went mm. into funding cryptographers and, and cryptographic research. And so I think, you know, that that's a reason broadly to invest in solutions like ours, specifically why invest in our company. I think, you know, we bring a unique slant to it. A lot of these companies are founded by the scientists themselves. They don't have a lot of product people on their team. And so a lot of times they end up building things for themselves instead of for their customers. And I think we have this really unique team structure where we are really, really focused on the product experience. And that's kind of how we're differentiated. If you're comfortable sharing, how much are you looking to raise? We're raising a $1.6 million pre-seed. Isn't the actuality I hear time and time again that you have to pitch at least, like at minimum, 100 investors to maybe get one yes? Yeah, I think that is often true. I So I've been talking to investors for a year. I think I mentioned this is my first, you know, major venture-funded company. I've had a couple angels write small checks into things before. And so I've been talking to investors for a year, just trying to figure out what do you want to hear, where, where do we need to be, who are the right investors for us. And so I think it's really helpful, and you can frame it that way, like, hey, we're, we're early, but I'm trying to, you know, it's never too early to build a relationship. Right. And so on that level, I really have had that many conversations. And I think oftentimes, especially in this market, it really does take a lot of perseverance. This market and all of the markets. I, and I don't know if that's just been my experience. I really think that's the majority of people's experience. There's always some different challenge in raising and just building a company overall. Mm-hmm. Unless you're building, what's it, Quibi? <laughs> Is that what it was called? Which one was Quibi? Is it the one that got like a billion dollars from all the studios and then it failed immediately? (laughs) What is it? I can't remember. Yeah, I'm not sure, but yeah, there's a few of those. And I don't know what was uh, the the WeWork guy. (laughs) So crazy. If people are going to refer you, who are the customers and partners that would be really useful for you to uh, be connected to? Yeah, so I'm really, really excited about B2C consumer retail use cases, mainly because they have a lower regulatory burden and are bound to move a little more quickly. And then, you know, healthcare is long term an area that I personally believe and really would like to have an impact in. You know, I've worked a lot over my career in healthcare and health tech. And, you know, we are talking to some folks in that arena and specifically sort of mid-stage health tech startups, right, that aren't necessarily regulated as medical devices, but still are dealing with large amounts of PHI and want to make sure that they're keeping that data protected and maybe don't have the resources to build, you know, bespoke solutions in-house. What is your favorite piece of software or mobile app? Like, it could be anything, personal or business. I have a new one. Hang on. I have to remember (gasps) the name. Right now, my favorite new tech is Osmo. Um, What's it do? Is it O-Z-M-O? It's O-S-M-O. Okay, Um, O-S-M-O. And it's pretty simple. I've been looking at, you know, note takers, AI note takers, screen recorders, and these are a major problem with privacy. Um, A lot of people I talk to when they see there's uh, an AI note taker, they're like, sorry, I don't do meetings with AI note takers. And for good reason. So I was looking for a while for something that was privacy preserving and client side. So, you know, um, and that's basically what Osmo does. So now I can run Osmo in the background and notes just stay on my computer. There's no video recording. So it's a lot more privacy preserving. 
And where should they connect with you? They can email me. They, they can go to our website, blindinsight.com, or they can email me, Jackie, J-A-C-K-I-E, at blindinsight.com. And should anyone connect with you on social media? Are you um, off the social? <laughs> I am not so much on the socials. I have a private Instagram account that I don't really use very much. I'm on Twitter, and I try to, you know, pop on there maybe once a week. I'd say LinkedIn is probably where I'm the most active. Cool. So they'll look at you up on LinkedIn, and we'll also link to you in the show notes. Jackie, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Thanks, Esprit. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. To connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social, at Women in Tech Show, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Jackie Peters, founder and CEO of Blind Insight. Blind Insight is an early stage private database that allows organizations to get insights from sensitive data while remaining compliant and secure. Based in Los Angeles, California, you are listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.